Hey guys, my name is Dr. Lauren Fogel-Mercy, and today we're talking about libido. What's up? It's Kevin Crenshaw, aka The Heart Guy. Welcome to The Heartbeat, where we talk about living life from the heart. So this is going to be a very juicy topic <laughs> and a juicy podcast today. I've got Dr. Lauren Fogel-Mercy in the house. She's a psychologist and also a certified sex therapist. We were talking a little bit before um, the podcast started. And she wanted to talk about libido because she's got a book coming out about it and a few other things. But I just kind of wanted to veer off the normal relationship type topics and dive more into the sex realm because I am getting some questions from you guys about this. So for that reason, I'm really excited. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, of course. So libido, it's a, um, or actually let's just back that up really fast before we even get into that. Let's talk like sex and why it's this quote unquote taboo thing in society because i think sex. that would be a good thing to just dive into before we get hit libido sure like why absolutely. people aren't, aren't as uh open about it we're not open about it because we're not taught about it and we don't mm -hmm. talk about it and that's really mm -hmm. all there is to it it's it's the mystery and the taboo is just because it's not something that we put out in the open and so you know, because we don't have it as part of our standard education system, because parents don't often have the, um, you know, resources or tools to educate their children. And it's maybe something that they were never taught as openly. We just keep perpetuating this, you know, thing being sort of behind closed doors. And, and so mm -hmm. that, that's why it's taboo. We just don't talk about it as openly. So when we do talk about it openly, we're shattering some of that taboo and stigma and normalizing it because it's something that most people do at <laughs> some point in their life. Right. And so I guess what is the taboo-esque nature of sex caused in a negative way? Because I know that has a negative kind of like a negative hit on our own sex drive or libido or confidence, whatever it is. Yeah, well, I think, you know, for a lot of us, we just don't have a lot of social referencing to try to um, kind of gauge what's normal and what's not. And there's a lot of harm that comes from not having information and not knowing whether it's about your own body or about how to be sexual with somebody else. Um, and so there are some people who um, really struggle with their sexuality from the start and being sexual with somebody else because they didn't have uh, some of the information that was pretty critical to mm -hmm. making that a really positive experience. Right. And I think that we're kind of moving that way as a culture to being more open and talking more openly about it, uh, which is definitely moving in the right direction, I feel. It is. Um, it is getting a little bit better. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the internet is a big part of that. People have more access to information. Um, the flip side of that is that a lot of people are learning about sex through porn. And so that uh, can be problematic when something that's, you know, made for entertainment is being used as education. It's not designed for that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's complex. It is. Well, let's dive into libido. And I know that you were talking about that on how uh, there were some incongruencies within maybe partners or if you have a low sex drive, like, could you just talk about that? Yeah, sure. So I'm at the early stages of co-authoring um, a book, and it's all about libido. Um, mostly, you know, covering the 
folks who tend to struggle with maintaining interest or desire for sex. Um, and also the situation that is really common among couples is, um, you know, having differences between the pair in terms of, you know, how frequently they want to have sex or what sex looks like. Um, and so we call that a desire discrepancy. And um, it can be challenging for some people to navigate that. There can be a lot of tension and conflict uh, around that. And um, there are these, you know, relationship patterns that seem to emerge over and over again. And so um, one of my colleagues and I just thought, you know, really, this needs to be in a book. <laughs> yes. So, so uh, that's what we're doing. There you go. That's awesome. So what's the book? Like, What are you going to be talking about in the book? So the book is going to break down a little bit more about like, what is libido? A lot of people think of libido as a drive and it's often referred to as a drive, like sex drive. Mm -hmm. um, it's not really a drive when you break it down. Uh, a drive is something that you are driven to do because if you don't do it, it's going to threaten your survival. And so there's only so long you can go without, you know, breathing air or drinking water or eating food or sleeping. Those are drives. Um, but sex doesn't work that same way. And, you know, people will argue that, you know, at the population level, we are driven to procreate. And there is some truth to that for some people. Not everybody feels that urge. Um, people question that a lot more lately. Um, <laughs> but uh, we do see an uptick in um, motivation for sex when people are at a stage where they're trying to procreate. And then mm -hmm. once they get past that stage, then they might go back to struggling with having desire for sex. So um, it's not something that stays as constant as our other um, uh, body systems, like feeding ourselves and, and mm -hmm. um, breathing and all of that, which has to be constant. Mm -hmm. So where does this come in with, you know, like casual sex and or if you're abusing sex or even just shutting down and not letting allowing yourself to experience it because of a hurt or some something um yeah the two extremes of like just abusing it or not even going there right yeah and i think um you know one thing that um you know there's well there's two parts to that one is yeah you know feeling out of control with sex or feeling like you're using it in an unhealthy way um, and that is its own sort of phenomenon. And it's something that I treat and I've been um, investigating and working with for years. Um, mm. And that seems to be really different from the folks who seem to struggle more on the low end of the libido. Um, and then there's the whole, you know, people using sex to try to forge relationships or to meet certain needs. And um, mm -hmm. so there are all these different variations in terms of how we use sex, what it's doing for us and um, what it's rooted in and sex within a long-term relationship and maintaining um, interest in that or, um, you know, trying to match up two different people's needs is so different than folks who might be single and dating or uh, trying to find a, a partner or just having casual encounters, which is also then a totally different thing from somebody who's maybe using it to manage their emotions and regulate mm -hmm. Um, so there are all these different sort of buckets. And I think, you know, we're going to focus a little bit more on, um, you know, the folks who have uh, relational dynamics and mm -hmm. like the long term kind of 
what to do when you're in a relationship. Um, because that's where the low libido side of things tends to come up for a lot of people. If they have low libido and they're mm -hmm. not in a relationship, it's maybe not that much of an issue for them on an individual level. Right. So where, I mean, there was a lot in all of that, <laughs> I know. But, um, but with low libido, um, let's talk on that first. And then I do want to actually touch on, you know, overactive or if people start like, when, is, when are they using sex as filling a void, filling a need, yeah. overusing. Yeah. But, I, but before we get to that, let's talk about low libido. Um, how and why does that, is that caused? And what can people do to fix that? Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty common question. And it's one of the things that we see probably one of the most common complaints among sex therapists and um, within relationship therapy um, as well. And mm -hmm. um, the problem is that it doesn't have a really uh, easy or compact solution. Um, this is why it's so hard for, um, you know, the medical industry to try to find some sort of pill. They've been working on this for a long time. <laughs> They're trying to find a pill or some sort yeah. of quick fix for libido when it's low. And the problem is that, I mean, we do have some drugs that have come out, but it's, it's a complicated issue and it's usually multiple factors that are part of the equation. Um, and so, when you're talking about libido, it could be, you know, individual stresses that impact that hormones can impact that um, medical issues can impact that how well you're sleeping, um, the relationship dynamics, um, if you're in a partnership, um, you know, there's all these different layers. And so, you know, we can sometimes address one or two, but if we're not looking at it holistically, uh, we might be missing part of the picture and that part might be really significant. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. So, so that's, that's part of why we're, you know, writing a book about it, because there's all these different pieces that could be part of the picture. And if we just assume that, oh, it's just hormones, and let's, you know, figure <laughs> that out, or oh, you know, it's just that you need to spend more time with your spouse, that's all it is, or your partner, or, or whatever, you know, it that's sometimes oversimplifying a more complicated issue. Mm -hmm. So what all is there to it? Really? Yeah. So, I mean, what I usually do when I start working with someone uh, or uh, with a couple is, um, you know, kind of trying to piece together all the different dynamics that may be part of the picture for them, both individually and as a couple. Um, and then sort of addressing some of those things as they come up. Um, let's assume just for simplicity that, you know, someone, uh, they're both healthy, they're in a good spot in their relationship, things are going pretty well. And we're, you know, pulling the thread and everything looks, you know, pretty good. Um, without any complicating factors, there can be a really common dynamic that comes up between a pair, where the person with the higher interest in sex or wanting more frequent sex, um, tends to be yearning for more of that. And so might be, um, you know, trying to take whatever opportunity there can be to be more sexual or turn, you know, physical touch into sex. And rightfully so that makes sense if that's what you're yearning for. Um, for the person who has the lower interest, um, what happens is they start to pull back from physical touch and there tends to be this all or none component to 
uh, sexuality and physical touch and intimacy. And so it becomes this sort of power struggle and tug of war mm. between two people. And it's really hard for couples to navigate by themselves. So what would you, what would you say to do for in that, in that situation or, or specifically somebody that just knows they have low libido? Like, yeah. So, I mean, it depends on so many, um, you know, factors in the circumstance. There is one exercise that I can speak to just as here's mm -hmm. an example of something that I recommend to some folks, um, may not fit for everybody, may not work for you, but, um, it can sometimes give us a, a bit of a path or some direction or help us, you know, learn more about the dynamic. Um, and what I recommend is, you know, there used to be books that would say, you know, schedule sex and have sex once a week. And that's what you should do if you're in a long-term <laughs> relationship. Um, and it was, it was a little bit, you know, a little bit insightful, but it also misses uh, the mark in terms of something really significant about that, which is that, you know, so for the person who's really interested in sex all week, what are they doing? They're excited and looking forward to this, you know, sex date or intimacy date or whatever you want to call it. And so there's this buildup of excitement and anticipation, and it's all, you know, really fun and good. And for the person who's maybe experiencing lower desire for um, sexual activity, they're kind of spending the few days leading up to it going, oh, gosh, you know, it's, it's almost that time. I really got to, you know, put forth a good effort here. <laughs> and they might start to feel a sense of pressure or dread or like obligation. And then it becomes for one person really exciting. And for one person, a lot of stress and anxiety. And so that's the downside to trying to schedule sex. And so what I tell folks is that I don't want you to schedule sex because that is too prescriptive and it doesn't take into account all the dynamics of whatever else is going on during the day and, and at that time and place. So instead of doing that, what I recommend is that, um, uh, for folks who are in a partnership, what they would do is schedule, I call it an intimacy date where you're just mm. sort of clearing your schedule. And once a week is what I say. That's not because that's an ideal for everybody. It's just to get into a practice to right. try something different. And once a week, you would set aside, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour, something like that, where you're both going to be in the same place at the same time. But that's all that you plan. You don't plan anything further. And then mm -hmm. at that time, you come together and you decide what's something that we can do right now that would feel good, that is something to either bring us pleasure or that will help us to feel intimate and connected. And then you keep it really flexible so that you can decide in the moment based on what fits mm. for you. So sometimes awesome. that might be sex. Sometimes it might be, you know, having massages or taking a shower together or, um, you know, different types of sex acts. So it's, it keeps it really open. And what that does is for the person who might have the lower desire to be sexual, it gives them a bit of relief that they get to make some decisions about what works for them in the moment. And it takes some mm. of the pressure off. Gotcha. I love that. So I can hear the audience and some of my listeners going, okay, great. But like, I'm overactive. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, or maybe they're, they know they're abusing it or they maybe think that they're starting to use it as an escape. And I talk a lot about, um, non-avoidance and like leaning in. So maybe if mm -hmm. they feel like this is an avoidance of a deeper issue, um, what then would you say to that? 
Yeah. So um, often for the folks I see who struggle with feeling like they're libido is overactive or out of control or causing them problems or concerns. Um, usually, I'd say more often than not, it's really not about sex uh, specifically. It's, you know, you, people using sex as a way to meet their needs or try to regulate their emotions. And so, um, you know, there's some models out there that look at it as more of like an addiction and kind of focus more on some of the sexual piece or try to make some black and white rules about what's okay, what's not okay. But really it's similar to some of the current thinking around addiction itself, which is that it's more about the underlying stuff and less about the substance or the behavior itself. So mm -hmm. that's usually what we look at with folks who are um, struggling with this kind of issue is what's, what's below the surface and trying to uh, do some work around that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what's your thoughts on abstinence then for like a situation um, like that? Yeah. So for somebody who is um, feeling out of control with sex, that's usually not the go-to that I would prescribe or recommend um, because it's just sort of a black and white way to treat something that's so much more complex than that. And often people who feel like they're uh, sexual behaviors out of control, there's often a component of shame involved in that. And so mm -hmm. trying to completely abstain from sex or uh, create some rules around it tends to just further perpetuate the shame. And then the shame is often something that is part of what's fueling the behavior. And so it just becomes this vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. So then how so then do you not, deal with the shame? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the work that I do for people who are concerned about their sexual behavior being out of control is working on uh, shame reduction and working on um, building intimacy and authenticity in their relationships. And so often there's, you know, intimacy related issues, people who are feeling underneath maybe, um, you know, some inadequacy or having difficulty with, um, you know, managing life stresses and sex has, you know, become paired with a way to manage that. And so we do a lot of work around, um, like I get, I ask a lot of people who are working with me to read, uh, the book Daring Greatly by Brene mm -hmm. Brown. Um, and then we end up doing a lot of work around vulnerability and cultivating, um, authenticity in their relationships and developing um, more of a support network and, and diversifying their coping skills so that sex is not maybe the only way that they get to manage when things are feeling really overwhelming. Mm, yes. I love it. Well, I know and that we can be meditating talking... is one of the things meditating. that I also recommend. Yes. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So for a lot of people, if they feel like they are struggling with um, like overdoing it in some area of life, oftentimes there's a sense of numbing or mindlessness that comes with that. And I'm certainly guilty of that myself. I've been, um, you know, kind of struggling with being a little bit too present on social media lately. And so um, one of the things that we can do is practice meditation or mindfulness as a way to, um, you know, kind of get out of some of the um, mindlessness and the numbing behavior and just sitting with our experience and, um, you know, exploring 
a little bit more deeply what some of those things are. What is it like to sit with painful emotions or sit with discomfort? Um, and maybe sometimes those emotions are telling us something. Yes. Awareness. Yes. So important. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know we, we could be talking a lot about this and you said you were doing a lot on social. Where can people yeah. find out more about like what you're doing and just get involved? Yeah, I um, lately am most active on Instagram and you can find me at Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lauren. This was an amazing talk. I appreciate Great. you being here. Yes. And oh, for everybody listening, pleasure. go check her stuff out. As you just heard, it's awesome. And as always, put some heart into everything that you do today.